If the dancing Raggedy Ann dolls catch you, you become one of them. This is <laughs> Lovecraft Country Spoilers. This is Spoilers. If you can't make them laugh with your brain, just do a funny voice, and it works <laughs> <laughs> almost it every time. Yeah. Hey, this is your host, Pappy, recording from Louisville, Colorado, in the heart of of spooky spoilers country and we're back at it with two episodes of lovecraft country this time episode eight jigabobo and episode nine uh rewind 1921 and joining me tonight we have a great crew uh first well let's go east to east i guess let's, let's go in a geographical context even though most of you guys are in a cluster there this is a very heavy set of episodes so let's go who you are, where you're recording from, and a fun, lighthearted question. Uh, what fictional character do you think would be a fun dad? Since Tick's dad uh, is in question through a lot of this episode, <laughs> who do you think from literature or film or television or podcasts or radio drama would be a fun dad to have? Uh, who do we usually say is farthest west? Stevie? Is that you? Yeah. I'm the westest? Westest? <sighs> All right, I, I'll go Lisa. Stevie braving, a, sorry, Stevie braving a disease to be on that episode tonight. It's not what you think it is. <laughs> it, it, it's not that, that dirty <laughs> C word, I promise. Um, Chlamydia? <laughs> close. Oh, uh, it is that. Hey, this is Stevie recording from Elkhart, Indiana. I am running a bit of a temperature right now, and I am hot and cold all at once. So my life has been a joy the past 24 hours. Um, a fun dad from can, can you be like a fun dad for movies? Does that count? Yeah, that's what we're going for here. Yep. I think his name was Hugh, but the dude that always cracked me up as a kid was Jimmy Neutron's dad. Like <laughs> that dude would be the funnest dad to have, like just to have. I mean, he says, hey there, Jimbo. Hey there, Jimbo. Like <laughs> that dude cracks me up. So I'd say Jimmy Neutron's dad. Fantastic choice. A, a character from both film and television. Jimmy Neutron with the crossover here. <laughs> uh, I think, Josh, do we usually say you're next? Yeah, so I think the way this works is uh, Stevie's more towards Elkhart, I'm more towards Dunlap, and Mikey's more towards Goshen. And that'll work yeah. for v- listeners around the country will understand that. But this is Josh <laughs> from Dunlap area of Indiana. And this is kind of a weird answer. But I kind of like disapprove of the premise as a whole, Pappy. Because is is the dad Whoa. you want? Is the dad you want necessarily a fun dad? Is that like the best dad? Fun dad? I don't know. If you want Bobby Knight from season on the brink, <laughs> you're more than welcome to pick that. <laughs> okay, here's my answer, uh, Sir Ian McKellen, um, as Gandalf, of course. And I feel like if you're if Gandalf is your dad, that means you're like a little wizard baby, which is pretty cool already. And plus, like he can—he has the biggest fireworks in town. And what else can you ask for from a fun dad? Plus, all the weed you can smoke—the <laughs> funnest of dads. <laughs> last but not least, uh, recording from—or not not last but not least, but I guess last in the tri-city area of Elkhart, Dunlap, and Goshen, we have Mikey recording from. Goshen or Elkhart-ish? I don't know. But what, who would be your fictional dad, Mikey? 
Uh, well, I kind of wish I had a little bit more time to think about it. I've been racking my brain here, but I'd have to say Indiana Jones. Ooh. I mean, I'm going to end up being cool. Also, he's never around. He's always on adventures, so like I could just do whatever I want all the time. <laughs> uh, and when he is around, we'd probably just get drunk together. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. Pillage artifacts from other cultures. Hide in fridges. <laughs> you end up as Shia LaBeouf. That's how you end up. That'd be great. <laughs> Last but not least, the furthest Eastus. Uh, we put him on the spot in episode last time, asking if he would come back. A great strategy to get returning guests. He's one of our favorites. Author of Paradigms as a Second Language. Host of Goodbye Mellow Brick Road. It's Dave Wheelroot Mellow. Dave, welcome back to Spoilers. Wow, I love that introduction. I feel so honored to have the book mentioned as well. Um, thank you for having me. Well, who would be your dad? Well, let us down with your answer now that we've built you up. <laughs> so I mean, the first person I thought of was Brendan Gleeson in, in Bruges. Uh, I just feel like that's that's the guy right there. He, he reads like Irish poetry. He is like, uh, might be a murderer. That's like, he's got the, he's like a, He's the North and the South Pole all in one. The two qualities you look for in a dad. <laughs> <laughs> you like to be on your toes. He seems like a pretty great dad. Uh, and I thought that episodes eight and nine were pretty great. I was a little bit down on Lovecraft Country coming out of the last three some of episodes we did. But I thought these two were fantastic to show my hand a little bit. Josh... Let's start with you on episode eight, Jigaboo. I kind of want to do what we did last time. I, the way I looked at this, there's an A story and a D story. If you if you get it, like an a, a, a story and a, a D story, because their name's D. Uh, oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> Which one would you rather start with? I, I, the A story I called is uh, Christina kind of fucking with Tick and Letty. And then D was everything I kind of alluded to in the spoilers. Yeah, so I'll go with D, even though that's probably the A story of this episode. Yeah, but, but it, it worked with the, the rhyming and the sounds mm -hmm. of the joke. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. So the cop with nine lives is back, and D and the whole family are at the funeral for Emmett Till, which is another real-life historic black person. Uh, with a very tragic story that I'm sure we'll get into later, but D kind of wanders off... Um, because she's overcome with grief and just kind of pissed at everyone for withholding the truth from her about her mom, about her dad, about everything. And that cop with nine lives that was aforementioned catches up with her in an alley and puts some nasty, nasty voodoo on her that you kind of alluded to in the spoiler. He spits on her forehead, which is really gross. Mm -hmm. They do something with the bricks, and all of a sudden... Two raggedy and super freaky, eccentric-looking Donald Glover, this is America dancing guy. <laughs> People are, like, chasing her the rest of the episode. They also have, like, Freddy Krueger nails. It's a lot. It is a lot. I want to go back to the funeral real quick, because I think that's, that's where Dee's story starts. I mean, that's where the episode starts. But you mentioned Emmett Till, Stevie. What did you think about the choice to have... Cruel Summer by Bananarama playing in the background. It's 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 hard to believe that these two things work this well together. Something as serious as that and a Bananarama song, but it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible because you don't really know what's happening at the start of it. I mean, it almost looks like a block party at the start of it. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. then you kind of pull back and you're like, 
Well, people are dressed really nice for this certain block party. I wonder what's going on. Then it delves into this kind of somber feeling. And that's when we get on to even more like, it's a slow burn of finding it out. It even is Emmett Till. Then they connect that with Dee being her best friend. Um, I thought the choice to use Cruel Summer was pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. Dave, I believe you mentioned on the last episode that you were considering uh, going into teaching. Is that? Um, did you remember learning about Emmett Till in school? What happened uh, with him? Yes, I mean, there's been a lot revealed by Lovecraft that I never learned about, but I did. Le- we did learn about Emmett Till, and uh, pretty resoundingly, um, we all agreed that uh, it was awful. Thankfully, mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably some education systems out there that would disagree. I would urge anybody if you're if you're not as familiar with it. I did a little bit of research uh, just to refresh myself. There's a great 60 minute story that was uh, re-released as part of Juneteenth this year, um, but it's horrific story of a 14 year old boy who was abducted and murdered uh, when he was visiting family in Mississippi. His killers were acquitted uh, by an all white jury jury in less than two hours and admitted to the crime uh, less than four months later in a magazine, knowing they couldn't be charged for double jeopardy really horrible stuff the mom um opted for an open casket funeral uh just so that way the images of of the horrific things that happened to emmett could get out there and it ended up being a catalyst uh for the civil rights movement so i mean there's a lot of like really horrible details like in the funeral the the smell they talk about the puke bucket right outside i mean it's it's all real visceral things And, and i mikey i don't know about you if you like when lovecraft pulls in these stories, but I appreciate the the hybrid of real life, kind of with this crazy over the top fantasy. Yeah, I think uh, the whole overall all plot of Lovecraft has like confounded me for so long, and then <laughs> this episode kind of opened things up a bit for me. I think this family is like haunted just by like racist people throughout their entire family's generations or something because in either the the, i think it's the next episode they're in the tulsa fires or something their family is also in the tulsa fires so i think it's something that spans generations of them like experiencing all this racism in their family uh and i think that kind of like clicked with me a little more and kind of cemented what this show is actually about Mm -hmm. uh it's kind of like their nightmares of experiencing racism in america and that made it more clear to me stevie josh mentioned it earlier but i think the characters names are topsy and bopsy they like mikey alluded they really are the stuff of freaking nightmares um i thought they were one of the creepiest parts of the whole show so far yeah um especially with kind of the fallout music playing behind them every time uh it makes that really eerie uh especially when they're playing that kind of knock knock song behind them um and it's also I don't want to jump too far to the ending or anything, but do it. Jump. You think for a long time, like in my mind, I was like, you know, maybe they can't touch her. You know, maybe they really can't even hurt her. They're just kind of things that are just trying to drive her insane. And I liked how, yeah, they actually can't hurt her. Mm-hmm. Montrose tries his best, doesn't he? He tries his best, but he ends up just <sighs> kind of fucking up so often. He screws up everything. <laughs> that brings us to the A story. Uh, bring in Montrose and Tick and Letty. Mikey, I I have a really hard time tracking like 
what's Hiram's pages and what's Horatio's pages, but what's your sense of like what's what Christina is like getting from Tick and Letty and like what's happening? Yeah, that also opened up a bit these past couple episodes too. Uh, I guess Christina or Christine is uh, needing Atticus's blood for the autumnal equinox. She's going to perform some ritual or something because she wants to become immortal. And now that's kind of like explained a little bit more. I was just like, just like sleepwalking, I guess, through the plot in the first five episodes looking for monsters. But now it's like kind of making more sense to me. Uh, but that those are her goals. Atticus, I guess, is just wanting to learn magic. I don't know why he's still even messing with Christine. I guess he's just like hellbent on trying to learn magic. I don't know what his motivations are exactly, but everybody else seems to be like, let's get out of this magic business and leave Christine alone. And I don't know. They're, they've got their own set of problems besides the magic that they have to deal with. What are Tick's motivation? Is it just to protect? Protect the family. Don <laughs> <laughs> some Coronas and protect his family. Um, I don't know. I, this A story... Uh, the, it really was about D, I would call this episode, but this had some of the most, I don't know, memorable parts for me. Um, Josh, do you remember the Ruby sex scene in this one? <laughs> uh, I think so. So this is, but I think so, like, of course. I totally do. <laughs> and there's a line that Ruby has in the next episode that's something like, uh, Christina and Ruby are talking in episode nine and Christina is like bragging about how she wants to have an eternity of firsts. And I was like, well, last episode you guys had <laughs> sex with <laughs> turning into a man and a white woman respectively. And also climaxing at the point where one of you was sloughing, like your skin was sloughing off and <laughs> it was all bloody and it was real gross, man. I gotta say the special effects were crazy uh, throughout these last couple episodes, especially in that scene. That was disgusting and really good looking. Mm-hmm. And like, well, the blood that the show, when it implores blood, I'm thinking of like the high heel in the previous episode. Uh, some of what we see, unfortunately, in like the, the race massacre is, is really visceral. But the special effects, Dave, I want to wrap up episode eight here. One of my favorite parts uh, or points of special effects in this episode was kind of the what happens with Tick and how he's saved at the end and if his magic comes through. Uh, what stood out there uh, for you in like the very last scene of this episode? Well, it was a bit like uh, episode one redux, kind of, um, with the Deus Ex Lovecraft monster. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't entirely sure. Like, I felt like I was like, like I was like, did Tick summon this beast? Like, I wasn't quite sure about where uh, if he was the instigator for it. But I mean, I'm very averse to gore. I can't stand like the gory and the blood and all that. But it's a it says a lot that I mean, I was able to watch this scene and that just uh, uh, like you were just the horrifying um, sex scene. But I couldn't even mm. stand to watch those like little girls from the Uncle Tom's cabin cover dancing around. That that freaked me out <laughs> way more than uh, Blood Sex Monster Magic, which is the next Red Hot Chili Peppers album. <laughs> Blood Sex Monsters and Magic. Can't wait Happy, for that. Did yeah. you catch how this ending with the hail of bullets by law enforcement very much mirrored Young Guns? 
And I think, like, if Young Guns had Lovecraft <laughs> monsters, like, this is how Young Guns should have ended. Lovecraft monster. I saw it more as a commentary on, like, hands up, don't shoot, versus a commentary on Young Guns, but maybe. <laughs> like... Hey, wait, really quick note before you close up this episode. Last yeah. time we were talking about that prop. I kept calling it a prop. It's an atlas. It's 3D. And in this episode, the asshole cop says to D. He's like, hey, I need you to go get the orrery for me. Do you know what an ori is? And she's like, of course I know what a fucking ori is. So it's O-R-R-E-R-Y. That is what that really cool prop is, an orrery. I can remove it. The curse. But you have to do something for me first. You know what an orrery is? Yeah, I know what an orrery is. And my mama's name is Hippolyta. It's Greek, asshole. Yeah, when D said that, I felt a little bad. I was like, damn, I don't know what an Ori is. <laughs> I wouldn't know that offhand. Uh, the only other note I had uh, was um, Chekhov's dyslexia. Like, why are we setting up, uh, what's his name? Um, Montrose. Montrose to be dyslexic. Like, I thought for sure, like, when he was reading that spell, I'm like, that's the dumbest fucking thing you could do, Tick. It's like, he just told you he's yeah. dyslexic. He's going to read this spell in a different language where if he messes up one syllable, you could just, like, light on fire. Like, what What are we talking about? I think here? it was just supposed to be a lighthearted <laughs> moment because I laughed pretty hard at that joke. And also, is it real dyslexia or is it Hubie Halloween that's exactly- <laughs> Ray Liotta <laughs> dyslexia? <laughs> <sighs> I'm just dumb. <laughs> I loved the Hubie episode. I appreciate that, David. I loved episode nine, Night Rewind, 1921. Um, I'll go back to you, Dave. This is one, because I, I wanted to ask about um, Emmett Till specifically, if you had learned about that in school. I'm 100% sure that I never learned about the Tulsa Race Massacre in school. And I've gotten like... No, I've got, no way. My touch point for, for learning more has been Watchmen and now this show. Do, do you, You're a little bit younger than us. Was that covered in your curriculum, Dave? Absolutely not. We never learned about this. This was... Crazy. Yeah. it's. I mean, it seems so just massively significant and it just didn't even, didn't even get like a little sentence or a, or a graphic even in our textbooks. From what from what I gather, and, and keep me honest, because this is like I said, just my amateur research, that Tulsa was emerging as a, a thriving, affluent African American community in the fifties. Uh, they had quote Black Wall Street unquote earlier um, than that twenties twenties, er, mm-hmm. and then as far as back as the twenties. All right, thank you for keeping me honest. Back in the twenties, yeah, the show's in the fifties. This was back in the twenties, and then um, apparently the part about like it being a prom night was also real. And I, I guess there were just a bunch of racist people started shooting and rioting and literally dropping bombs from like crop duster planes on this community, completely devastating it. Uh, hundreds dying, an absolute tragedy. It all started with a girl and a boy in an elevator. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but Josh. I'm glad you interjected there because I didn't know where I was going with that. Your girl Hippolyta's back, and we learned a little bit more about the portal. Um, what? Where do we stand now with her? What, what's happening in this episode? So she's back, and kind of like, kind of like I predicted, she's taking charge, taking lead a little bit, and she's like, "D's sick. She's cursed. I'm going to be the one that fixes her." And this is probably one of my. 
I love this episode. I'm going to give episode nine a yes. But I wish Hippolyta didn't have to explain everything so like technically or bluntly. She was like, hey, I went to Earth 6000 and could name myself anything. I wish she was just like more. I mentioned Gandalf at the top of the episode, like wizardly, just like better with prodding people where she wants to go, like playing the chess game. I don't feel like she's as Ozymandias as I wanted her to be when she came back. You know, hmm. I like this version of Hippolyta. Uh, Stevie, how'd you feel about the? She's a superhero now, basically, right? I mean, that's D's comic, right? Is her mom with blue hair? Mm-hmm. That's like, pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's a really cool callback. I mean, one thing that's driving me nuts about this show was nothing was falling on itself, and I feel like it's starting to do that, which makes me really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I liked Hippolyta coming back and saying, you know, I've been away for 200 years and I'm smart as fuck. I was crazy smart when I left and now I'm extra smart. But she's not smart enough to like win them over. She, They all think she's crazy. I feel like she could have done better there, right? Or am I just expecting too much here? I think you're expecting too much. What do you want her to do? Wear white robes and <laughs> float down <laughs> and convince them that she's... The black Gandalf of this world of Lovecraft. Like, country? what'd you expect? Yeah, like they're like Aunt Hippolyta, and she just be like, "Oh yes, they did used to call me that." I mean, they thought she was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Hippolyta the White, I am now. <laughs> I think she should have been like, "I know what I know. You can hop in Woody if you want with me and go, but I'm not going to force you." And led. I, she's didn't she need their help? She's though? like she can't. She's so tense. I, I don't know. Something about her just didn't seem it wasn't quite the right attitude for me. But like I said, I'm being really picky. I'm sorry. I didn't know that didn't bother me as much. But like Mikey mentioned in the group thread, maybe this is before you watch these episodes that like it, sometimes in Lovecraft, I feel like I'm missing a five minute exposition scene in every episode. Like I'm just kind of like and maybe I'm not paying close enough mm-hmm. attention. And maybe it'll be like way better on a rewatch. But it feels like I'm missing a little bit. I could have used like two minutes of like them having a conversation now that she's back. Like she literally just goes from being back to like performing the ritual to like, like, uh, I I don't know, subside the disease or the, the raggedy Ann disease. That's like gripping D right now. She just like gets right back (laughs) into it. And then she's like, all right, we got to go back to grab the, it's the book of names. Work names. Yeah. That's what they're going back to Tulsa to get. Dave, What it? this is one of the highlights, I think, for the series uh, to me. But we're, we're back in 1921 um, in Tulsa. What, what stood out for in this scene for you? Well, a lot of, like, it's true what you said, that these episodes seem to start almost like like in media res. And I think mm-hmm. even Alan Sepinwall pointed out that Misha Green is in such a hurry. Like, she's just so excited to get to the next big idea that there's often... Um, gaps in sort of like the details of the plot but I've noticed that over the course of the series as well like each episode is very very story focused and I always felt myself wishing to know more about the characters and spend more time with just the characters and that is what I took away from the Tulsa sequences it's sort of it was sort of played out like a like Titanic with this these fictional characters but they're in a, a historical backdrop and it's, it uses that backdrop to teach us more about the characters. We, they pair off Atticus and Montrose and they pair off 
um, uh, uh, Letty with the um, the ancestor in question, and it felt like mm-hmm. these great, rich character moments that were just I've been waiting for this, and I mean it's that classic, you know, HBO ninth episode. Mm-hmm. More so, even like even before they pair off, like I'm thinking of when Montrose is watching himself in the past getting beat like by his dad and like even like the extent to which Montrose is still like defending that behavior right and like even though he's like he's basically not not out per se but he's had like a uh come to peace to, to some extent with his sexuality in a previous episode he's still like defending his dad because he took a flower out of uh his brother's prom tux and like kind of danced around a little bit with it i mean like he was preening in the mirror with a flower in his hair yeah I, that psychology to me i i don't know josh how do you feel about Montrose as a character now because like this is this is it this is like his backstory this is kind of how he came to be who he is today in a lot of ways I think that scene you mentioned is brilliant and maybe one of the best in the series so far. They really just lean on Michael Williams, Michael Kenneth Williams to make that work too. And like basically his most everything possibly vulnerable about Montrose comes out in this episode, even to the fact Mm -hmm. like, like Pappy would say, Uncle George cucked him. That comes like he tells Tick that he might not be his dad. His uncle might be his dad. He has to deal with this sexuality quite a bit in a very bigoted time. And also, he's like the child. The child version of himself is right across the street, getting whipped by his dad, and it's just humiliating. And he has to play this double role of like stoic father, but also just his heart is breaking and also he's been drinking this really crazy moonshine like Everclear <laughs> stuff he is lit the entire episode he's like a s- streets music video this whole episode <laughs> <laughs> in the last episode I, w- I like went out of my way like talking about how much like the authenticity of the characters like matters. And I defended the use of like a homophobic slur because that's how that character would actually react. And then for a show that is as dedicated to giving a spotlight to every possible marginalized group as Lovecraft country is, I was disappointed to see that they use Montrose's alcoholism basically as a dramatic prop because Corey Kylo has talked about this on his podcast, Big Dumb Movie. There's a specific type of movie alcoholic where they can just chug liquor all day and they never piss themselves. They never slur their words. They never fall down. They just kind of act more serious. Professional. As that happens. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. Like, did, did that bother anyone else that Montrose literally chugs a mason jar <laughs> full of moonshine and then he's pretty much normal? Like, come on. I mean, isn't that just saying he's an alcoholic then? But that's that's what I'm saying. That's not what a real alcoholic. Well, you can't chug. You cannot chug a jar of moonshine and not piss can, yourself. Can you blame him for drinking though? He was. Everybody is dying from this giant monster in the first episode. Giant vampires or whatever. People are uh, skin is melting off. Like crazy shit is happening. I'd be drinking too <laughs> just to take the edge off. Hell yeah. 
but he doesn't act drunk. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's a few things because like my wife worked in the ER for a good amount of time and she was talking about alcoholics that would terrify her, which is guys that could walk straight, have normal conversations, would blow a 0.43 BAC. Yeah. And she goes, they need that uh, Mm. just to function because if they don't, they'll die. So she, she used to talk about these stories about guys would come in walking upright, just looking like normal guys, have normal conversations, um, and they would blow up 0.43. Jesus Christ. And also, Pap, I'm not going to argue they don't use it as a prop, but I feel like they do go out of the way with the camera work and using some gauzy and blur around the edges to like make it seem like he's a little dizzy and drunk and impaired, mm-hmm. right? And, and Tick calls him out, too. For it. He does, and I'll, I'll take that. And like in the moment, kind of like the operative, uh, dramatic moment, like when he is seeing his childhood, I guess, kind of first love, first crush slash best friend get murdered and get murdered, like in a like a way that's reinforcing that like this lifestyle and who you are as a person is bad, and like how that impacts him. Like, I don't know. Montrose is totally frozen there, and I don't know, Stevie. I this, this what tick coming into the scene um and like i got you kid that was pretty freaking great stuff loved it that was awesome because we've been talking about since the first five minutes of this show about how cool was it that (coughs) jackie robinson you know took down cthulhu in front of uh in front of tick and there's aliens and it's this giant war and you're like you know this stuff's crazy and to get that reference back and kind of with Montrose talking about, like, I never told anybody about The Stranger, but he was like Jackie Robinson, you know, coming out saying, I got you, kid. And then that bats at Tick's feet. I thought it was so cool and a great way for the show to fall, you know, to fall on itself again. He goes full bear Jew on a couple of these guys, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, he even, he knocked that girl pretty hard in the tummy with that bat. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised by that. Bear Jew is a reference to Inglorious Bastards. It's not me just using some slur. (laughs) The Bear Jew. But like almost the more like emotional, like sort of freeze frame, uh, Dave, is what Letty has to deal with with the grandma and like watching her burn. Did you did you feel the same way I did, like watching the grandma burn and scream, like, holy shit, this is one, A, this is impressive that, like, you know, Letty's staying here with her, too. It's impressive that her invis- invincibility extends to the book that she's holding, luckily. <laughs> like, what what were your thoughts in, in that scene? That woman had way, way more courage um, than I certainly would have in a burning building. Um, so just, I mean, obviously she knows about the, the magical, I guess, goings-on of this book of names and but still, like, I mean, and it's courage she shouldn't have had to have in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. But it was just a really haunting scene. It made me wonder, like, I was like, oh, I've actually, I actually don't know um, how, like, is this how, is this what it looks like when somebody burns alive? And I hope I never have to find out. Um, right. That would be pretty terrifying. Uh, but, I mean, just Letitia Lewis just keeps stealing the show for me every time she, the, it's just such an emotional moment of, how much these people have had to go through in the course of the show. And I mean, this is like the second time an ancestor has been a part of a burning building. It's just, it's a, 
it's great parallel storytelling, but it's also very heartbreaking to think of the historical context. And Stevie, we love time travel movies. Did you love that it's kind of a you know closed loop predestination style? Yeah, so this was going to happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those things where it's already happened. Um, and so I was the wife and I were watching this, and I was trying to explain that to her. She's like, "Well, like, won't people seeing Tick like mess this up, or her going over him going over there with the bat?" I'm like, "This has already happened." Uh, that's one thing <laughs> I did enjoy about it a lot was, you know, the future going back to the past is how we get our future. So I enjoyed that aspect of it a lot. That's like one of my favorite kind of time travels. Yes. I don't like, the, like messing with time to mess up the present. It drives me nuts. The back to uh, the future is like the, the lowest form brain of time travel. It is. And, yeah. Predestination <laughs> like, and the Slaughterhouse Five, like Unstuck in Time, like are way, way better. But that's pretty much the end of the episode. We have Catch the Fire, a new sort of operatic song playing at the end of the episode not mm-hmm. Sinner Man um, mm-hmm. for the first time um, which I thought was an interesting choice like Dave said the, the classic HBO episode 9 of a series um, any final thoughts anything that we neglected to talk about uh, in episodes 8 and 9 of Lovecraft Country um, I have kind of a thought I want to throw out to you guys maybe it just hit me this way but when um, what's the sister's name Ruby. Ruby. When Ruby's talking to Christina about, you know, why aren't you angrier about Emma Till or, you know, why can't you just even empathize with my pain? Do you think like this was the show trying to talk to white America? Yes. That's what I took from it. And I actually enjoyed that quite a bit. Well, that's my but note then, too. Doesn't she get killed just like Emma Till? Exactly. Doesn't she hire two guys to <laughs> kill her in the exact the same exact way? The exact same way. It's brutal. So is that is she like some sort of extreme is that her empathy? Yeah, is she an extreme or... empath or something? I Pappy mentioned how they have a lot of the details about Emmett Till's death in this movie and it's or in this show and it's kind of haunting. But that was maybe the most detailed part. They show her Christina, of course, like a white, good-looking model woman, as opposed to this fourteen-year-old black boy, and she gets like brutally stabbed beat shot in the stomach a couple times they put this like chain around her neck and toss her in the river and it's horrifying to see and yeah it's like wake up white america like can you not have some empathy and put yourself in the place of that dave what'd you make of that scene the recreation i mean it's one of those things like it's very sobering to see but it's one of those things that you it's necessary to see because it's i mean all these photographs exist of emmett till and but they're all in black and white but it seems to suggest that it happened a long time ago but it's only a couple generations removed people are still alive from that time so to have that shown um in such a brutal manner uh, i thought was a very evocative scene um and a very uh provoking scene as well that makes you just it, it it really reckons with the the reality that like even though they're fighting monsters with baseball bats and jackie robinson a lot of this stuff is ex- incredibly sobering and harrowing hmm. and i think i think you touched on something uh really important there and kind of when i close this part of the episode is that when i was watching that 60 minute special the fucking lady 
who lied about what Emmett Till Dude. did to her and like w- like said that whistle to her, she's still fucking alive and she's in Mississippi and she fucking admits that she lied about it. Like that, it Dude. just drives me. What? Go ahead, Stevie. Yeah, isn't that insane? It, it's just when people like push back on efforts to you know listen to marginalized communities, like particularly like the black community. Like, like how can you say? Like, it's just so ignorant of history. This was literally a couple decades ago. The person who is, like, in this fictional story who Emmett Till got killed over is still fucking alive and is free walking around. It's just, it's one of, it's a horrific, horrific part of our history. But Lovecraft finds this way to discuss it and, and I don't know if I'd say a fun sci-fi way, but a captivating I hope fun she sees it. Sci-fi way. I fucking hope she sees it too. Yeah, I hope she, she doesn't have HBO. <laughs> She's got bunny ears. Well, what about her kids or her grandchildren? Like seeing that, like in this episode, they basically show her getting it all done to her, and I don't know, something to think about. Her kid seemed like an asshole. Like her kid came to the door and was like, <laughs> "We ain't talking to you." And I'm pretty sure he had some Confederate flag memorabilia uh, <laughs> on him. But with that, uh, I'll go ahead. And, I kind of just did my little ramble on there. These two episodes, both solid yes for me. Um, really liked the the tone of, of the show so far. The, the more creepiness in in the in the episode eight and the. The ambition of episode nine, like Dave said, we finally got some more insight into characters uh, who we've been wanting to see. Letty is really, really stealing the show for me as an actress. But man, I I'm really invested. I'm pumped because I think we're gonna get Cthulhu next week. I'm I'm back on board the Lovecraft train. I kind of regret giving one a no, but but uh, two solid yeses. Um, let's go in reverse order. Dave, why don't you give your uh, yes or no host host Dave of Good Goodbye Melbrick Road podcast. Uh, check that out. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I'm going to go uh, yes on both. Um, a more emphatic yes on Rewind 1921. Uh, just really loved it. Um, and pretty much from like the second half uh, of the eighth episode on is like, I mean, it's a, I feel as great about the show as I did um, after the first episode, which I thought was an amazing pilot. So firm yeses, loved both episodes, and I feel like we're headed for just a great uh, finale. Love to hear it. And will you be back for the finale? We have to ask you on air, so it's hard for you to say no. <laughs> Please, Dave. I I mean, I got to give the people what they want. <sighs> the crowd Pappy. goes wild. Yeah. <laughs> he probably doesn't want to because last episode he's specifically like, I, I changed my last name so that they don't know about my book. And then you mentioned both <laughs> last names and his book. Like right at the top of the pod. <laughs> hey, if any potential employers are discouraged from hiring Dave Wilru after what they heard on this podcast today, that's not a place you want to work, Dave. The, your talents shown through this evening, I would say. But <laughs> thank you, uh, Mikey. True. I think you're you're next. Yeah, I'm gonna give both episodes a yes. Um, I like that I now have more context for everything that's going on. And Stevie made a good point that. Uh, Every, the plot is now starting to fall back on itself, and I think that makes up for the lack of context in so many of the episodes. We get some stuff filled in uh, with the, now the time travel aspect of the show, so I'm liking that, and yeah, the special effects are amazing. Letty and Atticus 
are really great in this. I like all the characters actually. Everybody's really well casted in this and uh yeah it's just I mean all of the racism stuff that we see in these episodes is all just so tough to watch and I think the sci-fi aspect puts like a filter on it that's palatable to watch but yeah, it's just eye-opening to see what black people have gone through in this country and what they still continue to go through in this country. And it's just really horrifying what's happened to them. And I think this is an entertaining way to show everybody that they're still dealing with these problems. So I really like what this show is is now kind of like exposing itself to be to me I, i'm sure a lot of people have <laughs> figured it out long before in other episodes but to me i was just so so confused on where the show is going so i'm loving it now and i can't wait for episode 10 josh i love episodes eight and nine um maybe i'm expecting a little too much for some like J.R. tolkien level <laughs> gandalf dialogue um for hippolyta but i think she's a really cool character so i'll keep watching out for her uh, i think we kind of buried the lead a little bit in that ruby and letty's relationship has kind of come to a t and i think that's what a lot mm. of the last episode is going to be you know letty is team tick and ruby's team christina immortality i guess and i'm looking forward to seeing how that plays off or i'm looking forward to see how that plays out and just real quick, um, I, for my real job work, did a mini doc on a director who did this like 3D reenactment of Greenwood Avenue Massacre, which is what's depicted here in Tulsa. So if anyone would like a little bit more information and things to see, educational stuff about Greenwood Avenue, go ahead and hit us up on social media and I'll hook you up. Spoiler Man will tell you exactly how to contact the, us right after Stevie, who's Tylenol Fortress has kept him alive throughout this episode. <laughs> what do you give episodes eight and nine uh, of Lovecraft Country? Yeah, I think I hit my 24 hour max in the Tylenol extra strength. Um, <laughs> I will give both these episodes two hard yeses. I love the ending shot of episode eight with Letty hiding behind Tick and that monster protected Tick kind of snarling at him while he pets him. Absolutely love that shot. Um, also, uh, Josh kind of hit on it too. If you like, don't know anything about what happened with the black wall street massacre or like want to know more, please read about it. Cause it's a really important thing that is for some ungodly reason is not taught in schools. I think it's a real shame. Um, the best way I can even like relate it to today is imagine, I mean, hundreds, if not, you know, a thousand African Americans going to the wealthiest part of Manhattan with bombs and guns and planes and killing as many people as they as they could just for the fact that they had more wealth than them. Um, please look that up. But uh, yeah, I will give both these episodes two incredibly hard yeses. It would be covered a little bit differently if the shoe was on the other foot, you would assume. But yeah, yeah great just, call. just a little bit. Great call, Stevie. Thank you, audience, for listening. Thank you for bearing with us on Spooky Spores. We just put out Hubie Halloween. The Mist will be out Monday, probably. Thank you again to Dave. Check out Goodbye Melbrick Road and listen to Spoiler Man tell you how to contact us. Take us away, Spoiler Man. Night when the moon, I'm gone away. 
She used a cordy-starky up just for the broke of day. With a hoodie, 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 with a hoodie knocking at the door. Spoiler Man here. Our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com. Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod. Our Instagram is podcast spoilers. It's lit. Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme song. Please support this podcast by leaving us an iTunes review. To do this, one, search for movie spoilers. Two, click on our orange spoilers bowl logo and scroll all the way to the bottom. Three, leave us some stars and some words. Now you can check us out on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. All at once I hear three tundra raps come bang against the door. With a hoodie, 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 with a hoodie knocking at the door. And that you, Sam, and that you, Sam, you had better stop that knocking at the door. Let me in. That was spoilers.